throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with host Gord Riddell. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another edition of uh, Things Worth Considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell. And uh, I have a very special guest here. Uh, I have Karen J. Moore, um, who is our guest today. Uh, Karen is a uh, specialist in uh, palliative care. So you might have guessed just from the words that we're going to be talking about the things that our society hates to talk about, and that is death and dying. Uh, Hi, Karen. Hi, Gord. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Um, Let me just tell uh, people a little bit about you. Um, you uh, went to school in Acadia, and you also uh, went into uh, Dalhousie. Um, so you have a psych degree, uh, undergraduate, and in, in education, as well as a master of education. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct, Lord. Uh, I did, okay. I, uh, I went I went to those universities and. Uh, studied special education and then a master's of education and worked with people with special needs. And uh, then uh, life has just kind of expanded and uh, increased my journey from there. So what what got you interested in doing uh, palliative care? Well, I think think throughout my whole life I've been interested in, you know, helping people with special needs or... Uh, you know, certainly it's what got me into special education. But I grew up bored in a family that uh, I was a preacher's kid, so we were always, you know, talking about birth and, and death and, and funerals and stuff. And so I remember as a young kid being invited to, you know, go and sit with uh, other teenagers whose parent had died or... You know, and I remember saying to my dad, but I, I don't know what to say. And he would say, you don't have to say anything. You just have to listen. You just have to hold space for people. And uh, I think it's different life experiences that, you know, took me that way. Um, a friend of ours, their young daughter, who was 12, uh, died of cancer. And I, you know, was supposed to be occupying the, the brother. And he, you know, said to me, why would why would God be taking my my sister away from me, and I, I remember struggling with the answer and saying, well, I don't think God's doing that to you, but, you know, maybe, you know, God, uh, you know, will help you through it, or, you know, your sister will always be in your heart, and I, I think I've always had a a real uh, search or a need to help people, you know, coping with the difficult circumstances in their life, you know, and all the trials that, you know, each one of us face, and then... You know, through the education system, I uh, had staff trained in the Rainbows program. And, and as you know, the Rainbows is a program that was started by Susie Yale Marta in the United States. It's a program, a peer support program, uh, program for children to help them with grief support uh, right. from death, divorce, or separation. So, you know, just training like that. And then I, I took the palliative care training and then became an end-of-life death doula. Wow, wow, okay. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking that maybe um, we should take a look at a couple of these uh, uh, terms because, you know, p- people may think they're all the same or they're very, very different, but in fact, they're, they're really, you know, uh, um, just different avenues towards sort of the same concept. So the hospice movement, where did that come from? What's that about? Well, Cicely Saunders uh, really started the hospice movement in the UK. Uh, she was uh, with St. Christopher's Hospice in London, England. And uh, so she is. Uh, she was a nurse, uh, a doctor, a social worker, a writer. And her focus was really on pain management and making sure that the dying had the dignity and respect. And she has a really famous quote, which is so important for people today. It's, You matter because you are you, and you will matter until the end of your life. We will do all that we can, not only to help you die peacefully, but also to help you live until you die. And uh, so she's really the one that kind of started it. And then there was a doctor in Montreal, Balfour Mount, who started the movement in Canada, and he went to visit uh, Cicely Saunders. 
And uh, so he really is known as the father of the hospice palliative care in Canada, and, and he really had a whole-person approach to care. So really looking after people's physical, social, cultural, psychological, emotional, and spiritual needs, and really looking after each person and their family. Yeah, I think that's an important part is that it's not just based on the, the individual who's like, quote-unquote, the patient, um, but it's definitely it's their loved one, it's their entire family, and the caregivers who are taking care of them. That's right. It's, it really is uh, so important. And then in the U.S., uh, in uh, 1974, uh, and it might have actually been a little bit earlier. I think, you know, my notes say in 1971, the first modern hospice uh, opened in the United States. And the, the founder was really this uh, woman, amazing uh, woman and nurse uh, known as Florence Wald. And, and she became known as the mother of the American hospice movement. And when she died, uh, there were 4,700 hospices uh, opened in the United States, so really quite a legacy. Wow, that she led. that's pretty amazing. It is amazing. Well, uh, you know, I think that that you know one of the big things is is uh, um, you know active care hospitals really can't give the kind of care that uh, we would want to see uh, for you know doing end of life care. It really relies upon sort of a team team approach. It really does. It, it, it totally relies on a, a team approach, and uh, so it's important that, you know, the, the individuals and the caregivers and the, the family members, uh, you know, the doctors and the nurses and everyone forms uh, a team of people. You know, I was listening to CBC News yesterday, and they were talking about how one in four individuals, 18 years of age and over, uh, are caregivers looking after a loved one. So uh, really? it's quite a staggering number. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge number. I, I, I certainly know, you know, watching people um, basically uh, getting caught like in a sandwich because they have their children on the one end and then they have their aging parents on the other, and that causes all kinds of problems. Exactly. Uh, people, you know, really are struggling to, to cope. And, uh, and so they, uh, you know, really need all the help that they can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we need a lot, uh, a lot of assistance because, you know, um, uh, you know, a woman is always going to have, you know, she has her job, she has her, her, her other job, the house. Uh, but now she's about like this caretaker position uh, in being with the, uh, uh, you know, her the parents and making sure that the parents are well taken care of and, and so on. And that's really a huge, huge problem, um, just in terms of time. And, and, of course, the risk of burnout becomes enormous then. That's right. And so, you know, there are um, certainly uh, different avenues for caregivers uh, to, you know, approach hospices and, and uh, ask for volunteers to go into the home or, uh, uh, you know, different organizations will uh, certainly provide uh, volunteers to help out. Uh, there's also, you know, private care, but there are different resources as well. There's caregiver resource guides, and I would uh, certainly want to speak to, you know, the family doctor and uh, find out who the team is that they can get in place so that there's uh, right, caregiver right. support. The um, well, that, that's sort of a, the uh, you know, that's another term that I wanted us to uh, uh, put out there, and that is the, the whole thing of the um, uh, the the respite care. You know, I don't think I don't know if a lot of people even really know, you know, what that what that is about or its availability. You know, um, because I think you know respite care is really important in terms of especially in terms of the caregivers. That's right. So respite care is really uh, short-term care. It's offered to individuals and, and, you know, certainly benefits both the individual and the caregiver. Uh, the individual, you know, gets uh, the opportunity to either go and stay for a short term or perhaps a weekend or up to two weeks. And it could be in a hospital or a long-term care facility or in a hospice if they have that designation. And, uh, so to be looked after by uh, people in, in the place of choice. And then it right. allows the caregiver to, to have a bit of a break as well. 
Well, yeah. I mean, the the person who's going through this, uh, you know, a death and dying period, uh, certainly the dying period, uh, it gives them a little bit of uh, stimulation from outside as well. That I think that exactly. is lacking when it's just in you know just in your home, um, and I think that's you know that's really crucial because. Oh, well, certainly my experience around this, and my, my experience comes from the early days when, when AIDS uh, uh, became, you know, a full-blown, uh, you know, epidemic here in North America. Uh, so many young people, you know, that, that were like friends of mine and friends, uh, friends of friends and brothers and all that kind of stuff, uh, not of mine, but uh, other people's brothers, became so ill. And, uh, you know, we had the, one of the big hospices here in Toronto. Uh, was opened up, and um, it was so important for them to have uh, that connection. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and you know the whole hospice palliative care movement is really aimed at you know relieving uh, suffering and improving the quality of life of the individuals, and um, also working with the caregivers and family. And so, anything we can do that provides, you know, the goal, which is comfort and dignity and quality of life. And, you know, that's really what we need to do. So, uh, you know, wh- wherever the place is, that you know, we can provide that comfort and dignity and relief from pain and other symptoms uh, is really important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's going to look different. I mean, every, you know, if it's uh, a Toronto versus New York versus Alaska and none of it, um, you know, uh, there's there's going to be different approaches to it. There'll be cultural approaches to it. But uh, I think the key thing here uh, is um, uh, that the individual, the individual who's going through the dying process, is the captain. It's Absolutely, they're the captain. That's that's a great way to put it, Gord. They're the captain of the team, and really, we need to to listen to what their needs are. And so, you know, yeah. talk to them about you know, what they want, you know, how how do they want to live and how do they want to die? What what does it look like? It's really impressive. Well, and that's a very hard conversation, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's a hard conversation. It's a very hard conversation because we don't even like to use the word dying. Uh, Uh, That's that's right. You know, people have passed away. People have crossed (laughs) over. People, you know, I mean, there's so many euphemisms because rather than saying, how is your mother? She's dead. Uh, it sounds rather <laughs> rather curt, um, you know. So, oh, uh, she passed away, you know, last year. Uh, that's that's like it makes it gentler for everybody. But we become such a an anti well, we're an anti aging society. So therefore, how could we possibly talk about death uh, if we can't talk about aging even? Um, so I think I think you know one of the things that's really incumbent upon us is is to be able to have, like, to have those kinds of conversations, to be used, able to use the right terminology. You know, That's you're right. Not- it, it really is important. And, uh, you know, we've learned that with children, too, that, you know, when we say things like, you know, passed away, they don't really understand that it's, you know, the finality of it. And so, you know, we have to explain that, you know, they've died, that, you know, their physical body is not here. You know, they may be with us in other ways, but we do have to, you know, be comfortable with having conversations. And I think there are many, um, you know, different things that are popping up these days to open up the dialogue. Uh, you know, one such movement is to have death cafes where people will go and openly talk about, you know, death and, you know, what a good death looks like or different books and research and, and stories and so that people can openly talk about it. And uh, there's great right, value right. in that. Right, right. That's, uh, uh, it's, it's finding people that we can have that dialogue with, you know, because there's not, there's not a, you know, for instance, in our family, you know, there's not a lot of people that are going to want to talk at the same level that you and I are talking. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, the, inter- the, the interesting thing is that research shows that end-of-life discussions are really, uh, you know, helpful to the person who's, you know, facing that life-limiting illness. It improves, uh, you know, the quality of life for not only the patient but for their loved ones because they get it out in the open and they're talking about it. They accept their illness uh, and then they, you know talk about comfort over uh, and care over life-extending therapies. And uh, the research shows that, that there's really positive um, and powerful effects for opening up the conversation and, and talking about it. 
Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The um, uh, the, the silence is, is, I think, perhaps the, the, the most unhealthy aspect of the whole thing. You know, uh, uh, and then the person feels like they're they're imposing upon you because they're dying or they're sick. Uh, you know, uh, um, they don't want to impose on anybody, so they're not asking for their needs to be met. They may be in pain, but they're not wanting to say anything. Um, you know, it's uh, it's really unfortunate what people are subjecting themselves to through our society's silence, and so we just simply we uh, we just simply you know uh, um, gone to a point of of you know not allowing that kind of thing, uh, and if we're not having that dialogue. That's right. I, I think many people, I, I know that, you know, I was a volunteer for hospice, and uh, so we were, uh, I, I was working with people in the community who had a life-limiting illness, and they would say, I feel like such a burden, you know, I want to, I need someone to talk to about uh, the, the types of fears and worries that I have, and yet they didn't want to pose that, you know, burden uh, upon their family members. So I think anything we can do to open up the conversation is very helpful for people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So at this point, we need to open up the conversation and say that we need to take a break here. Uh, this is Gordon Dell with Karen J. Moore at Things Worth Considering, and we'll be back on the other side of these commercials. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, this is Gord Riddell, and I'm here with Karen J. Moore, and we're at Things Worth Considering. We're talking today about the very things that we don't like to talk about, which is about death and dying and what's going on in our society, and what are some of the things that are happening, because uh, there's lots of breakthroughs in this whole area of uh, ensuring you know, positive treatment. So, Karen, we've, we looked at hospice, and we looked at a little bit about respite care. Um, so palliative, palliative is really much more of a philosophy than it is like a, a building that says palliative. That's right. Palliative, uh, a palliative approach to care is really, uh, you know, we don't talk about the person being palliative. We talk about the approach as a palliative approach. So really looking at that whole person aimed at relieving the suffering and improving their quality of life. Uh, for a person who is, you know, who has a terminal illness, uh, uh, or for people who are bereaved. And it really is 
uh, about um, health care for the individuals and families and uh, providing that comfort and dignity and quality of life. So if we think about it as quality of life and dignity and death and grief and bereavement support uh, for an individual and their family member. So palliative uh, care uh, does not hasten death and it doesn't prolong life. It's uh, approach that is helpful at the uh, earlier stages right through an illness uh, approaching death. And uh, it really helps everyone because it helps the individual and the family as well, provides support for the family on their journey and afterwards. We know that you right. know, 70% of people will die in the hospital, and yet 75% would like to die at home, and we know that palliative care can happen anywhere. Right, right. Right, um, and it's it's um, uh, very often. It's, I mean, it's paid for by insurances, and and you know, it's it's cheaper to have somebody at home or in a hospice than it is to have them in an active care facility. Oh, absolutely! Uh, it's certainly by far the cheapest to have them at home, and then hospice would be the the next option. And I'm not sure if people really know that there is no cost to hospice. It's surprising the number of people even still today, that aren't aware that hospice services are free. And uh, so, you know, people can go and get 24-hour care by nurses and PSWs, and there is no cost to the family member. Well, that's, that's amazing. Now, we're, we're talking specifically here in Ontario. Like well, the US, certainly, but... in, certainly in Canada. Uh, you know, I can't speak for the U.S., but I know right. that certainly in Canada it's, uh, it's free, and uh, it's done because the hospices are nonprofit organizations, and so it's all done through fundraising. Uh, okay, okay. So yeah, that makes a huge difference, a huge difference, uh, having, having that approach to it. And I'm, I'm just really grateful for that approach. Uh, even though, as far as I know, as of today, I'm not in need of any of those things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're hopefully going to keep it that way uh, for today, anyways. Um, I think that the, you know the the positive effects that it has on the overall you know uh, event of the dying individual. Uh, uh, it just absolutely you know it can't be compared to someone in an active care facility uh, taking care of a lot of people who are like, like post-surgical or accidents or whatever, and then trying to give that nurturing to someone who's passing uh, or dying uh, and about to be dead. That's right. It's, it's uh, just an incredible, you know, um, incredible uh, support that we can provide to individuals. And uh, so wherever, wherever we can provide that, whether it's, you know, in the home or, you know, in a hospital setting or, you know, in a community facility, I think, uh, you know, certainly worth some, something worth considering. Right, right. Um, what's interesting is, is that uh, uh, sort of the, the unofficial statistics show that uh, people who are in uh, some sort of after, after life or, or, or during life, end of life uh, program are, are likely to sign a DNR that if they've had proper discussions uh, than people who have not had them. A DNR, by the way, means do not resuscitate. Uh, That's a choice that the individual has made that should their breathing and heart stop, that they will not want an ambulance crew coming in and trying to start them back up again. That's right. And uh, so, you know, those are certainly important discussions. Advanced care planning, that would be, you know, one of the conversations that we would have with someone is to, you know, talk to them quite openly about what do they want their quality of life to look like? You know, what kind of interventions do they have? would they like to have? Would they like to have a DNR, do not resuscitate, order signed? Or, you know, so I think certainly involving them, you know, right from the get-go, it is about them. It's not about us. So, but opening up those conversations and, uh, you know, making sure that we're open to listening to what their needs and, and wishes are and then following through on them would be very important as well. Right, right. Yeah, following through. I, I know, uh, um, you know, with my father, it was uh, uh, hanging on the, on the, uh, the kitchen refrigerator, you know, this big DNR so that if anything happened when the uh, paramedics came in, that's the first place they look, apparently, uh, is to uh, That's right. uh, make sure that we're not going any further, uh, that they're not jumping on my father's chest when he had said that was it, he didn't want anything more. 
and it was it was very well respected actually they were wonderful uh in uh you know taking him to the hospital he had to be pronounced still but uh it was it was over and done quite nicely without him and going through you know needless possible pain or whatever uh that he didn't want to go through well, I think that's right, Gordon. You know, I, I met with individuals in the home, and I would ask them very openly, you know, did they have a DNR signed? And they'd say, uh, oh, yes, it's at the lawyer's office. And I would say, well, you know, we need to get that on the fridge so that, uh, you know, if there's ever a need, that they know the one place to go and look for it. And so, you know, you brought up just a great point. Uh, it does have to be somewhere accessible where the people who need to look at it will be able to access it and follow through for sure. Yeah, I know I know it's like sort of the first first place uh in in a home that uh certainly the uh uh Ontario paramedics are trained to, you know, take a look on that fridge <laughs> uh, and see what that says. So let's look at, you know, sort of some of some of the issues that, you know, people people need to have addressed. Um, you know, in conversations or allowing people to admit that, for instance, physical pain that really you know, for the most part, there's no no need for us to have to suffer uh, unreasonable uh, physical pain. No, that's right. And so, you know, certainly the doctors and nurses and the medical uh, team uh, should be able to take a look, uh, take a look at the physical pain. And there are uh, different um, assessments that they do to assess the the pain of an individual. You know, kind of on a scale of you know one to ten. And even the volunteers going in can certainly ask those questions. Is you know, on a scale of one to ten, you know, how is your pain at the moment? And then uh, right. being able to you know work towards alleviating that. Right, right. The same thing can be done for emotional pain too. Absolutely. So, you know, know, often emotional pain comes from, you know, people are are anxious, uh, their anxiety develops, and uh, they're they're afraid. They they might have some anger, you know, why why me or why am I sick, you know, and uh, they could become angry. And we know that from the whole person approach, we we have to look at all these different aspects and, uh, you know, help people to, to work through them. Right, right. Uh, you know, anxiety uh, is an interesting one to, I think, to address uh, that people can hear about. That that's very, very common. That as someone is going through the dying process and is, you know, getting closer to death, that they can become quite antsy, um, which will also then trigger anger and so on. Um, but this anxiety that begins to build uh, just pre-death is uh, a real problem for people. That's right. Now, I know we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on, but, you know, there are certainly uh, things that we can do to help um, alleviate that. You know, certainly we're talking right now about being very open in our conversations uh, with people and and getting people to talk about what they're anxious about and what are their fears or what are their, you know, what are they angry about. But, you know, also, uh, you know, having a fan and turning a fan on helps to kind of distract and cool the person. And, you know, sometimes uh, things like that uh, also, you know, help with the anxiety. They they redirect right. a person. There also, what's really interesting is there's a lot of um, uh, research being done right now on uh, basically what have been recreational non-medication drugs such, such as psilocybin, uh, uh, even LSD, um, uh, that are being used to put people into an altered state. Uh, gentle. I mean, I'm not talking about massive amounts of, of any of these chemicals, but put them into a a uh, an altered state in order for them to be able to uh, alleviate that anxiety, and it works extremely well. The the early uh, research is showing. So, yeah. so like mind altering psychedelics. Well, that's right. And uh, there's also in the you know, world of palliative care, uh, palliative care sedation. So, uh, you know, there's lots of conversations today around uh, MAID, uh, but palliative care sedation is, uh, is a different topic, a different conversation, but, uh, you know, that certainly can help to alleviate the pain and symptoms that people are experiencing. And, you know, encouraging people to talk to their family doctors about all these different topics so that they really are well-versed in, in what they need to know on their journey. Right, right. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not sure sometimes that the, 
the, the doctors may be as well versed as some of the people who are working in the field of palliative. <laughs> You know, they they may know the medications and so on, but they don't really want to talk about your feelings. <laughs> uh, social pain. There's, you know, there's people. Uh, once once they know someone is is uh, ill and is ill to the point where they're going to to, to die, um, then you have this anticipatory grief that begins to set in. Um, you know, here's here's one of my my observations uh, is that when people become ill and people are going to die people disappear. I think that for some people right. and many people, that dying is an extremely lonely place to be. And uh, I'm just wondering, what, do you, what light can you shed on that? Well, you know, I think that's right. Uh, so when people are first diagnosed with, uh, you know, an illness, then there's that anticipatory grief, as you talked about. So they're anticipating, you know, what it might look like and what might happen and, and the conversations, you know, change. And people's roles change within the family and people's responsibilities change. So, you know, at one point they could be, you know, a, a wife or a, or a mother and then all of a sudden they're a caregiver. And so those right. kinds of anticipatory, you know, and, and, uh, when as soon as friends start to find out and family members, you know, they, they don't know what to say and they're really at a loss for words. Uh, and so they stay away when really what we need, you know, I, I think it really depends on the individual. Some individuals say, you know, I just really need to gather my thoughts together and, you know, become comfortable with it, the thought of it myself before I can have a conversation with other people. And so I think right. part of it is giving people the opportunity to, you know, uh, come to terms of, with it themselves, but also to call and say, you know, what can I do to help? Is there, you know, is there anything you need? Can I just come and sit with you? Can I come and share time? Or, you know, is there anything uh, I, that you need? I know uh, this happened recently with an individual. Uh, I had found out that she had, uh, you know, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I called her up and I said, you know, what can I do that would be of help to you? Can I help, you know, rally people to help make meals or, you know, to bring comfort? Would you like to have some complementary modalities like Reiki or uh, reflexology? And all of those things were really welcomed. And she said, you know, that would be really helpful. If we could get a schedule together, that would be really great. So I, I think it doesn't have to be isolating, but we have to know, you know, what kinds of conversations we can have or what we can do to offer help and let that person be the one to say, you know, yes, I need it or no, I don't or, or what it is they need. Right. Right. I, 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 I still think that, you know, there's enough people don't understand what's going on and are so frightened of what's going on that it's easier to just, you know, assume that they're dead now. And, and, you know, leave it alone and then, you know, show up at church or something, uh, for the, for the service or the celebration of life ceremony. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, so many people that I've, I've watched and I've been associated to, uh, in their dying process is, uh, people, friends that, you know, just disappear and it's very, very painful. You know, I think it is, and it, and it can be, but it doesn't have to be, and I think the more that we open up the conversation, and, you know, really that speaks to the people in their comfort level, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, right. Um, and, but at the same time, I mean, if somebody's really sick, we don't want to force ourselves on it, you know, uh, on them and just show up and say, well, okay, well, I'm here, I'm going to sit here for the next 24 hours. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's also respecting the individual's boundaries as well. And so on. Uh, Absolutely. So, boundaries. This is a good place for us to uh, take a break here. Uh, You know, there's certainly lots for us to learn, and I think the biggest thing for us to learn about death and dying is ourselves. How afraid we are of it. You know, not even the society. So, we're going to come back and keep talking with uh, Karen and all about palliative respite and hospice care for individuals in death and dying. We'll be back in two minutes. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement. 
The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Karen uh, J. Moore. This is Gordon Dell with Things Worth Considering here on Voice America Talk Radio. Um, so, we're talking about death and dying, the things that nobody wants to talk about. And I think it's really important that uh, we have this conversation. It's all about having that conversation, same as it is having conversations about mental health. Uh, death and dying also requires its own conversation and understanding the stigma that's uh, attached to it. Um, you know, when it talks about conversations, Karen, there's five things that individuals need to say or they need to hear. Can we talk about those? Sure, absolutely. So the five things are uh, the individual needs to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, so talking about things that have happened in their lifetime, uh, they need to hear, I forgive you, or say, I forgive you. They want to say thank you to loved ones and people who have made a difference in their life. They want to say or hear, I love you, and they want an opportunity to say goodbye. You know, and sometimes, Gord, you know, when uh, things happen to people and they die very quickly or they're in a car accident, you know, they don't have the opportunity, uh, the loved ones don't have the opportunity to hear those things being said, and uh, the individual doesn't have a chance to say it. But, you know, if they have the time, those are the five things that often uh, are so important to people. Yeah, because those, you know, as a therapist, those are the five things that I keep hearing. Uh, people in grief, people who are in complicated grief, is this will haunt them. Uh, that they didn't, you know, when it was sudden, they didn't have a chance to say goodbye or to say thank you or I love you. Um, or people who had left their, their lives that, you know, they maybe have feelings for still or whatever. You know, uh, there's any number of reasons with a human being. Uh, but these five really stand out. They do stand out. And, you know, in the hospice work that I've done, meeting with individuals in the community, uh, one of the opportunities that I've had is to ask them, is, is there anything that you'd like to say to a loved one? You know, can I help you to write a letter to a loved one? And I've got to tell you that that is just an incredible experience to be the person who's writing down the words that their loved one is going to read after they're gone and messages of hope, uh, hope for the person's life, or thanking them for the joys that they've brought or the, the lessons that they've learned or how they've impacted. And on the other hand, when we were talking about what can you do, there was one individual who was alone in a hospice, and so all the friends and family who lived in faraway places wrote letters into that individual, and then the volunteers read them to the person who was dying. I mean, what an incredible gift to be able to say, you know, thank you for what you have done for me in my life, or, 
you know, uh, I love you, you know, or, you know, so I think that's, uh, those are really great gifts to provide. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, I'm sure we would all like to have something like that and not have to be dying. Um, you know, it comes down to, you know, it comes down to, uh, saying I love you. Uh, thank you for the people who are closest to us today. Uh, we hold back. It's such a horrible North American trait, but, uh, we need to be able to hold back. Now, unless you're sitting on a bus, I think you should be turning and saying, I love you to the person beside you. Uh, but on the bus, you might get into trouble. Um, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, as appropriate, but let's make it more appropriate that we are able to express how much people do mean to us in our life. And our life would be crap if it wasn't for the people that do hold us up, support us, and keep us going. Yes, that's right. We certainly taught our kids to do that, and so our boys are very good at telling us that they love us, and we do them on a uh, regular basis. So I think it is important well, to share cool. those messages with people. And we're not talking about five-year-olds. Your children. We're What's not that? About five-year-olds. We're not talking about. <laughs> no, we're not talking. About, no, we're not talking about five-year-olds. We're talking about. Uh, 31 and 29, you know, and, and still, uh, you know, certainly ending every call with I love you because it's just so important uh, for them to know that we do. That's amazing. That's lovely. Uh, so what about when people in these conversations, are there hidden messages? Are they looking to ask for something? Yes, we often find that uh, when we're sitting uh, with people who are dying that they you know, we'll often talk about, um, you know, hope and having hope for the future. And really, you know, sometimes they're looking for, you know, did my life have meaning and purpose? Or, you know, we talked a, a while ago about, you know, worried about burden on our loved ones. And, and really, they're, you know, the underlying message there is they're often planning ahead and what's going to happen, you know, when they're gone. Um, or questions about life. You know, often we'll have people say, you know, you know, do you think there's anything beyond this life? You know, what do you think? You know, and so they're really wondering about, you know, belief systems and, you know, uh, you know, what happens to you know, me next very, or... Very existential. A lot of, I, I, a lot absolutely. Of, that happens in therapy. You know, it was like, what is this all about? You know, is there is there something behind all of this? Why are we going through this? You know, and I think those are the kinds of questions that uh, uh, when someone's dying becomes even more relevant. You know, uh, regret, yeah, a lot of people have regrets, but a lot of it is, is based in shame. You know, it's like they've, they, uh, never even cleared something from 40, 50 years ago. That's right. You know, and so really yeah, they're looking they have for regrets. forgiveness. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the forgiveness piece is, uh, um, it's unfortunate to, to think that arriving at that place, you know, assuming that this isn't an instant car accident, uh, to arrive at that place that, you know, we still are still seeking some sort of forgiveness or, or are we calling uh, validation? You know, um, I think too, we have an opportunity to be able to, to talk about and create legacy. I think, uh, you know, everybody wants to know that somehow or other that, uh, we made a difference in this world. Right. And, uh, legacy work, you know, sometimes, uh, people take, uh, different views on that, but I think if we can capture the stories of the people, uh, it's really important. And so, you know, I've seen some pretty creative things being done. So, uh, there was a, you know, a sister who was dying and there were four sisters in the family. And so all four sisters put their, um, hand print in different colors of paint and made a mural. Uh, other people have, as I mentioned, written letters or made a scrapbook or, you know, uh, named a, you know, planted a tree uh, or, um, you know, the person who was dying in one case said, you know, I want you to remember me by every year, uh, go out and fly kites, you know, because that's something that, you know, I love to do. And so, you know, when... You know, when I'm gone, do things that, you know, make you happy, you know. So uh, another gentleman wanted to be remembered. Uh, he had uh, a special job, and it was to raise the flag at a park nearby. And so he wanted to spend time giving away his belongings and his duties and his different jobs to different people. And he invited a man into his home and said, I want you to be the one to continue to raise the flag at the park. You know, so I think legacy uh, work comes out in different ways. 
Uh, but I think it's right. really an incredible opportunity for people. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so as well. And there's all, all kinds of different ways that uh, we can do it. So let's, let's just take a look at the time we've got left at what happens as we near death. That's, that's very specific. And this is where we can get into a bit of problems with, you know, people want to sleep more. They, they're not thirsty. They don't want water they, or anything. Uh, and and the, the, often the caregivers are like, oh, no, you need to drink more water. You need to eat. You need to keep your strength up. Well, they're kind of leaving, folks. Um, and uh, they don't want any of those things. So I really see needs, needs of the caregiver and the needs of the, the dying individual becoming a problem. That's right. So certainly you're right. As the disease progresses, they have less energy, they're sleeping more, they often don't want to eat as much, and yet we know that family members will, you know, be trying to feed them, and, you know, they, they're they kind of complaining or worried that they're not eating, and we just say, you know, they'll eat as they're able to, but, you know, sometimes it becomes harder to swallow. And uh, I think for people, they have to remember that the hearing is the last to go. So continue to speak to your loved ones. Uh, you know, uh, share stories, uh, sing songs. I was um, watching as one family sang songs and then progressed to telling, you know, stories. And you, you could tell that the individual was listening. And we have to remember that if there are changes that happen over months, then they have months to live. If there's changes that happen over weeks, it's weeks to live and over days, days to live. And that's, you know, uh, one way to kind of watch, you know, what the time frame is uh, for people. Yeah. 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 Cause that time frame, uh, if it, if it has been a few days, it is only going to be a few days, uh, from you right. know, when they, you know, got really ill there or whatever. Uh, but I think it's, it's recognizing our needs really is not what it's about here. You know, uh, it's letting them, like forcing people to drink water, uh, you know, keeping their lips moist and so on. It's sort of a comfort thing. It's not about hydrating them. You know, we know what No, that's right. You know, uh, and, and of course, I, you know, our faith, our cultures also play a huge role in this as well, you know, um, in terms of what our beliefs are and, and you know, whether we're going to have a good death, basically. I think people, people want to know, Am I going to have a good death? And that's very individual, how that's defined, but it's an important one for for consideration purposes. Do you not think so? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I do think so, uh, Gord. I think that we have to really talk to people about what they want that to look like. Uh, do they want to have, you know, do they want to have one or two members with them or around the bedside? Do they want to die at home? Do they want to go to a hospice or a hospital? You know, often people will say, you know, they want to stay at home and then family members might feel badly at the end that when they take them to a hospice and they're just saying, but, you know, I just, I can't you know, cope with this or I can't give them what they need. But really what the person wants is to have dignity and comfort and care. And, and so, you know, or do they want to have music playing? And, and what do they want their celebration of life? I mean, one of the greatest yeah, things to one. do is to be able to plan that now so that we know what they, they would like to have as their celebration. Well, the person also feels that in sort of planning their own celebration or planning the, the funeral celebration of life, that they're still very actively involved in their life. Just because someone is dying doesn't mean that they're dead. They are still living, <laughs> and people treat yeah, them as being dead. You know, that's right. I think when people hear... When people hear about the diagnosis, you know, they immediately turn to death, but it really is about quality of life. Uh, exactly, exactly. It's like that person, you know, you know, maybe knowing that they're going to die, but they are not dead. They are living at this moment, and and that's the dignity of the individual being being met, uh, and that's really really crucial. Uh, don't act as though they're you know you, you've buried them already. People who want to go into like extreme grief and and the whole thing, and that robs them of the. I think one of the most incredible experiences. If it's allowed, is to be present with that individual when they leave their body, when they die. The whole room changes. It's an incredible, incredible experience to go through. 
And, and, you know, I think more and more people are opting to be around and to be there uh, when a person uh, dies. Uh, and if they wait long enough, often, you know, a smile will come to the face of the person that has died just as they relax and as their body relaxes. But, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible to be a part of, you know, hospice and they have a bit of an honor guard as, as the, the person has uh, died, and so the family members will follow the person being wheeled out to the waiting vehicle, and all the staff and volunteers uh, will follow as well. It's it's a real honor, um, you know, a beautiful quilt draped, and so there's lots of different things that that we can do. But it certainly is about yeah. opening up the conversation. And it is, uh, it is, what Joe, they and, would like. and just just to uh, also say, the silence is also equally as important. You know, if we don't know what to say, then let our silence be just a, a, absolutely. We we get. I don't know what to say. Don't say anything. Just your presence is so powerful in itself. You know, that's uh, right. That, that silence goes so far. Uh, Karen, this has been really informative. Uh, you know, we'd like to have. Uh, there's so much we could talk about on this. <laughs> uh, it's rather a complicated area because it's just. It's so big, it's all-encompassing. And you know what? Every one of us is going to go through it. As they say, no one gets out of this alive. Uh, it sounds kind of harsh, but anyone <laughs> so, who's in the Toronto area who might be interested in uh, training in the area of end-of-death, uh, or end-of-life uh, issues, death or dying, um, and you are a graduate of a psychotherapy program uh, or registered as a psychotherapist, we're offering a seven-week course uh, in learning a lot more about your, you know, what you can do in your practice and in your private personal life in helping people with end of life decision care uh, through to the point of death and celebration of life ceremonies. So, uh, if you're interested, uh, you can get in touch through info at spiritgrows.ca uh, or at Transformational Arts College, uh, and that's transformationalarts.com. And uh, drop a line to one of us, and we will get in touch with you if you are interested in that. The course begins on March the 11th. So, uh, Karen, thank you so much uh, for coming Thanks very in. much, and, uh, uh We look forward to uh, having another conversation in the future. I welcome and the opportunity. There, <laughs> great. Uh, and everyone out there, you have a, you have a great week. And uh, look forward to seeing you back here next week on Things Worth Considering. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your host, Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.